they were uh, relying on spiritual leaders, uh, men who they could uh, that they could approach, who approached Jesus, well, God for them. Okay, so they'd gone back to the way it was before Jesus came, because they they started having all these doubts and or questions and they started so the writer of Hebrews has gone through this by by pointing out that Jesus is better then he gets to this point where he says look at what happened the Egyptians and the Israelites they messed up that's what we've been doing the last two weeks and now he's going look uh what you're doing is going back to the old way the old way doesn't work and you see because no matter what who we are no matter who we are or what we have done through in this life, what we've done in this life, there will come a time. There's always going to come a time when we feel, we feel like nobody can understand us. That nobody can know what we're going through. They, they won't understand. There's always going to be a time somewhere in your life, sometime in your life, that you're going to feel like that. Well, nobody's going to understand what I'm going through. We will, we will want for somebody like that in our life. We'll want, to, we'll want somebody to understand and to know our deep needs or, or the problems in our life. And we will want someone who can identify with us in our deepest needs. So the author of Hebrews, he talks of this person. And he talks of this person as the great high priest. Because the old priests, the old priests, you have to go to them and they would step in the gap for you. And they would stand in the gap for you. So he talks about this new high priest who he tells you is Jesus, the Son of God. So now, now we have Christ as our priest. And we can pray directly to him at any time and in any place. We can have a relationship with him. This is something... And I, I know I know that, that people that used to go to a Catholic church would go to a priest. And they would confess their sins to a priest and they would tell the priest, hey, pray for me. Because they thought that that person had a better connection to God than you do. By the way, it doesn't just happen in Catholic church. People come to me sometimes, and I'm thinking, wow, you are way mistaken. They come to me and say, hey, will you pray for me? Your pastor, will you pray for me? I'm like, by the way, if you know Jesus, you can pray for you. I will pray for you, but my prayer is not going to get any closer to God than your prayer. Should I pray for you? Yes, but you should pray for you, and your connection to God is just as close as my connection to God. You see, pastors and preachers, or whatever you want to call us, are not closer to God. That is why Jesus came. 
Jesus came to live a life that you couldn't live, to die a death that you deserve, and to stand in the gap for you. So, saying all that, let's dig in. Hebrews 14, uh, 4, 14 and 16 says, through 16 says this. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So our priest's position. First of all, he is the priest. Verse 14 says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through to the heavens, talking about Jesus, because he says, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. So if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and that he did die, and then rose, and then is now back in heaven, he is your high priest. Christ, our priest, has gone to heaven. Acts 119, 1, 9 through 11 says this. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were the, gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes. And said, man of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You see, we need to keep trusting him. We need to put our trust in Jesus originally. When you come to faith, you have to put your trust in Jesus. But you continually have to trust him. You have to continually say, when he said it was finished, it was finished. He is perfect. Verse 15 said, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are. So we have a a God. Our God has been tempted every way you have been tempted. So when you've wanted a sin... And sinned. He was there where you were. He went through all them emotions. Worst of all, we think, well, we're tempted all the time. He was tempted by the devil, which had only happened one of a time in the Bible, two of a times if you want to count Job. Adam and Eve was tempted by the devil, and so was Job. Jesus was took in the garden and tempted for 40, he fasted for 40 days. So he went without food and water for 40 days and then the devil shows up. I'm still praying of how I'm going to do 12 hours. 
40 days? But, but it goes on to say, yet without sin. He never submitted to any of the sin in his life. When you look at Jesus, when you look at Jesus, he wept. He did all the things we do. He got angry without sin. I don't know if I've ever got angry without being sin. But I know that it can be done, obviously. It can be done. It's been done. In history, it's been done by other people that have got mad without sinning. We have a hard time doing it, but Jesus did it all the time. Jesus went through every single emotion that you ever will go through and did not be tempted by sin. He was tired. What happens when you get tired? Because I know what happens when I get tired. The sins just keep piling up. They're like just piling up. Like I've got a dumpster that's got sin in my life. When I get tired, I mess up. I don't know about you, but if you get tired, your guard comes down. Jesus gets tired. 40 days of fasting will make you tired and hangry. He was looking for a Snickers bar and he got the devil. The devil shows up. And tempts them, and he is without sin. We cannot say that. So he understands our weaknesses, our failures, failures, our sicknesses, and our troubles. Not only does he understand, he is also eager to help us. He is eager to help us. See, verse 16 says, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. We can pray to the high priest that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, we should come boldly, boldly to the Lord. Here we will find grace and help in times of need. You see, here's the problem. When we pray... 90% 90% of the time we pray for wants anyway, and not with needs. And, 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 and we'll get to, we get to the verse where, if I pray in Jesus' name, he'll give me whatever I ask for. Or you'll get preachers out there saying that if you, if you don't get what you're asking for, it, the devil can't stop God giving you blessings. Well, no, he can't. But I always look at the, 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 the disciples because my model, I, I, I'm looking at what happens in the Bible and not everybody is blessed. And I said this last week, God would be stupid to give me lots of money. And I don't think God's stupid, so I don't think I'm going to end up with a bank full of money. Just saying. I mean, I wouldn't give it to me if I was God, so why would God give it to me? I mean, that's, that would be unwise, and I don't think God is unwise. I think we, we serve a wise God. So, so if I pray to win the lottery, I don't think God's going to answer that prayer. I just don't think he's going to answer that prayer. I don't think he's going to answer it for you either because I think you'd probably do the same thing I would do. And uh, if, if, I, if I picked up a ticket and it was a winning ticket, I would have to give all the money away. I just would. It would it, 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 to say that, I think it ruins people's lives anyway, and we could go into another sermon just on that, how, how money ruins people's lives. But we'll get back on track. 
we can boldly go to Christ. So this is what I used to tell my Sunday school kids when I taught Sunday school. Is that, and, and I believe, so, so, so you got to realize, I'm, I was talking to kids and I think sometimes that helps. Uh, I believe that God can understand every word I'm saying right now. I believe he can say. But I believe that Jesus, because the Bible says this, is, is representing for me. So when I lift up my prayer, so this is how I told the little kids, is like, I speak this foreign language, and, and, I, and, and Jesus is the greatest translator in the world. So I'm like making, when I pray, I make a phone call to Jesus, and I pray, and then Jesus translates it. For an adult, this is what I'm going to say. When you ask for certain things, Jesus is saying, that's not really what they want. I know what they really want. And this is how he translates. He says, they need this, God. They don't need that. I know what they really need. They need this. I'm going to stand in the gap. Because back in the day, you used to have to go to the priest and offer your prayers to them. And then they would lift them up to God. But when Jesus died on the cross and he was nailed to the cross, he said, it is finished. And what happened after that? In the Bible, it says the curtain was tore from, from I said this, from top to bottom. I hope I said it right this time because I got ridiculed when I said it wrong one time. And uh, somebody said, you're not quoting scripture right. Well, that's my power phrase. So, if I said it wrong. But what I'm saying is the curtain was tore. So, and, and it was all about symbolizing anyway. Is that as the curtain was torn, it, it, the barrier, because you know what that curtain was? Back in the day, the priest would have to go beyond the curtain to make the sacrifice. Okay? What, some people probably don't know this, what would happen? They would have to cleanse themselves. They would have to offer up for themselves, so they were going in there pure, if you want to say that. They were never pure, but... but then they would tie bowels around their ankles. And when they were walking, you could hear the bowels. But they also tied a rope around the other one. So when you, you, the, the other priests are out there, the ones that weren't fit to go in there yet, they were like, oh, bowels stopped ringing. They obviously weren't clean. Pulling out the dead body. Because they would, get, they would die instantly beyond that curtain. Because sinful human beings cannot be in the presence of God. And that's what that curtain represented, in the presence of God. Okay? So they would have to go through all of this ritual before they could even go through there. And then they, they would, if, if they died in there, they would just get, because you couldn't go in there to pull them out, because then you'd touch a dead body and there was laws about that that make them unclean. So they would have to drag his body out of the temple with this rope tied around his ankle or waist, wherever it was tied, and pull him out of there and start all over again because nobody could make the sacrifice. And, and now we have Jesus is our high priest. We don't need another priest to go to to connect to God. We have the priest his name is Jesus. That is why he's called the high priest. That is why in Hebrews, 
that he's talking here about a high priest, that Jesus is the high priest. Jesus was a lot of things. This was one of them. Jeremiah 33.3 says this, Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. And 1 Peter 5.7 says this, Casting all your anxieties on me, on him, because he cares for you. We can take everything, all our anxieties to God and give them to him. It's really, it's really, that is what, what we get to do. We get to go to Jesus. No other religion offers this. Every other religion is, what can I do for you to make you happy, God? It's a pretty prophetic God if you've got to make him happy. Because if, 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 if Jesus and God and the Holy Spirit's relying on me to make him happy, they're going to, I'm going to fall, they're going to not be happy and I'm falling way short. Because we're not going to be able to make a God happy. And he was already happy before he created us. He goes on to say this. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of man in relation to God. To offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. So basically he's saying, even the priests were morons, just like the people they were helping. That's my paraphrase. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. The priest's Personality, Jesus' personality as a priest. There was a practice. Verse, verse 1 through 3 in the Living Bible says it like this. The Jewish high priest is merely, merely a man. Like anyone else. But he is chosen to speak for all other men in their dealings with God. He presents their gifts to God and offers to him, the blood of animals that are sacrificed to cover the sins of the people and his own sins too. And because he is a man, he can deal gently with other men, though they are foolish and ignorant, for he too is surrounded with the same temptations and understands their problems very well. Just like I said, he's a moron just like everybody else. The priest was not a special person. He just happened to be in the line of the Levites. Purity. And no one takes this honor, verse 4 said, and no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was called. See, the priests are all called by God. Isaiah 53, this is how They talk about Jesus and his calling. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. So Jesus wasn't a man that you would have been attracted to or that you would have been drawn to because of his looks. He was despised and rejected. And we as Christians go, we want everybody to like us. Jesus, despised and rejected. So why would we think if we're Christians, people should like us? If the God we worship was despised and rejected. By man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom man hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his stri- stripes we, were, we are healed. All we, all we, like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgressions of my people, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He was put, he has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. Satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one be servant, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he will shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered by the transgressors. See, that is who Jesus is. He came. See, God had a plan, by the way. We didn't have a plan. He had a plan. See, we always go, well, why sin entered? Why why we live in such a horrible world? And if God is so loving and will help us out and do all this stuff, why does he allow all this evil in the world? Well, I'll tell you because Adam and Eve decided to sin. Adam and Eve made a choice. And I'll tell you this till I'm blue in the face. You would have made the same choice. Because you make that choice every single day. Every single day you choose to worship the world before you worship God. Every single day. 
Because we all do it. But what does God do? God is so amazing. We have three chapters in the Bible. Verse 15 of Genesis. This is called the proto-evangelical. He says this. That is the first gospel for anybody else. I just know the technical name. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Notice what's beautiful about the Bible. Anybody that can say that Christians are not in equality have not read it. Because God says here, he will put enmity between your offspring, talking to the devil, and her offspring. If this book was truly written by men, and was written by men at that time, they would have never put her offspring, they would have put his offspring. I mean, you go back 30 years, they would have put his offspring if we wrote the book. In America. But they put her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God had a plan from the get-go. I don't know how this went down. I joked a little bit this morning. I'm going to joke again now because I this happened. But you've got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They didn't need anybody, by the way. They didn't create man because they were lonely. I don't know about you, but if you've got more than one personality, you're not going to be lonely. Okay? He's got three. And they're three separate persons. So he had community. That's why I'll always say that church is about community. Because God was about community before he created man. So I believe after he created man, he's still about community. I don't believe you can do church or be a Christian on your own. Unless you live on a desert island and there is nobody else to talk to. Then you need a volleyball and name it Wilson. But I don't know what happened. But did what happened, I don't know if they had straws and Jesus drew the, the, the shortest straw and that's why he had to come. But, but what I'm saying is Jesus, this, this promise here, when God speaks, okay, and we know when God speaks, it is Jesus because he's the word of God. So this is God, Jesus speaking. And he says, basically, which is really, think, when you start thinking about it, this is, this is why you don't try and understand God. Because God's saying that, by the way, like I said, God's the word, the word. So it's basically Jesus, who is talking about his own prophecy here, being born in the woman's offspring. Now I've confused me. But that's what he's saying. He's saying, you know what? It's going to be a day when it's perfect in history that my son, Jesus, is going to be born of a virgin. That's why it says her offspring. Of a virgin. And she is going to, he's going to come and he is going to save sinners. In Genesis 3.15. There's a lot of Bible between Genesis 3.15 and Matthew 1. There's a lot. And some of it's hard to understand. Well, most of it, actually. 
But there's a lot of it between that verse and Jesus coming. Yet he promises Jesus coming. Now God allowed everything to happen. And we always say, why does God allow stuff to happen? Because he's God, he can do whatever he pleases. It goes on to say this in verse 5 and 6. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. I always say that wrong, but anyway. Yeah. What John said. Sounds great. I got tongue-tied because you just say it confidently. Nobody knows how it's really said anyway. A great preacher told me that one time in in an audio. He said, when you preach, you just say clearly and loudly, and people don't know how it's supposed to be pronounced anyway, so they're not going to question you. The priest perfection. You see, Christ... Verse 5 said, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made high priest. God said, you are my son. Christ was, as, as funny as it, Christ was chosen by God in the fact that he sent Jesus. Jesus gave up his throne. He gave up his robe. And he went and, 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 and was in a woman's uterus, grew as a baby, and then was delivered and was flesh and needed people to take care of him because he was a baby. And he didn't sin. So some people think he didn't cry. I don't think crying's a sin, so I think he did. But uh, he, was, he wasn't, I'm sure he wasn't, he was perfect in the way a child was supposed to be perfect. And he was chosen by God to be the high priest. Isaiah 7.14 says in the promises for Jesus. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, these are Christmas verses. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. And then in Isaiah 9 and verse 6 it says this. And we all know this verse. For to us a child is born. To us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. Mighty God. Everlasting Father. Prince of Peace. Everlasting. He's not just Everlasting Father. He's Everlasting High Priest. He's Everlasting Sacrifice. There's no more sacrifice needed. There's no other priest that's going to come. It's just Jesus. Verse 6 went, as he says, also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. See, Christ is the eternal priest. And do you know what? It's funny that he uses that, that, that order because the order of uh, priests was the, the Levites. There's only one other time that they use this. It was a special calling for a person as a priest. And, and, and that's why he's putting him in this tribe. Because actually, Jesus was from the tri- tribe of Judah. That wasn't a priestly line. Because Jesus wasn't just a priest, was he? 
Jesus was the high priest. But we've got to remember, why did Jesus come? He came to die. And I think we, we brush that off too easily when we say, I think if we all did this, what I'm going to suggest in about two minutes, it would change us forever. It would change us forever. I'm going to tell you that I believe that your sin and my sin started entering Jesus at the garden. He was in the garden praying, being pressed. It's funny that they, they say he was in the olive garden by the press, basically. Uh, and it's where they pressed the olives out. So they would, if, you, if you've ever seen what they do to an olive, they used to put it in a press and it presses all the oil out and they just spit it and all the oil comes out. It's pretty amazing, really, when you think about it. When they press the olives. Jesus was being pressed. Why do you think Jesus said, Father, if it's not your will, if it, 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 Father, if you can take this cup from me, take it. But if not, your will be done. Take this cup, take this cup, take this cup. He was talking about because he was being pressed. Do you know why I believe that this is when our sin started crushing him? It's because he sweated which is possible, by the way, there's a medical term for it, when you sweat blood because you're under so much stress and so much stress can cause your, whatever they're called, to burst and you actually sweat blood. And Jesus, this happened to Jesus when he was praying. It actually can happen to you if you're under that much pressure. So he was being crushed because all the weight of our sin was starting to press down on him and he understood what he was going to be under. That is why he starts saying, because he had no problem until this point. He had knew what was going to happen to him. And until in the garden, he never asked God to take his life away from him. To take, like he says, if there's another way, take this cup away from me, God. We should learn a lot from this part of the prayer. But if it's your will, your will be done in my life, basically. Okay? So, but, but that's not the, the thing. After all of that pressure, he gets arrested. He gets falsely accused, pushed around. I'm sure them soldiers didn't treat him nicely, by the way. I'm sure he was a bit bruised up before he even went in front of... Uh, uh, Caiaphas, uh, well, Caiaphas was the priest, so I know he was before he went up there. But here's, here's the thing is, then they say, scourge him. I want you to visually visualize this because we don't get it. Because there's not a cross in the world that truly, if they put Jesus on it, would represent. Because Jesus was scourged. Do you know what scourging is? It's when you take a cat of nine that has glass and metal attached to the end, okay, and they, the idea of this punishment, just so you get it, is that you are whipped to unrecognizable ability to the inch before you're going to die. So they would take this and they would whip you and it would come around and it would dig in and it would rip pieces of flesh out. It would grab on bones and pull them out. It, do you think they were careful where they were whipping? I don't. 
he would, the idea was so when he was released, because that was the punishment, by the way, nobody ever got scourged and crucified. Jesus. So they, the, the, the punishment was to, to pay for your sin. He had to be scourged. So he gets scourged. To, so nobody can recognize him. Because that was the idea. Once you were scourged, when you'd go out in public, nobody would know who you were. Because you would be so mangled from the beating. This is the guy that died for you. This is who you really need to look at every day when you go, wow, Jesus died for me. Because when you say it, it doesn't mean anything. But if you visualize this look, then they weren't satisfied. They wanted to crucify him. So then they didn't just crucify him. They put a thorn of crowns and dug it into his skull. And then he's got blood dripping all over him, all over him. They make him carry the crossbar. Because he wouldn't have carried the whole cross because nobody carried the whole cross. It would have been the bar that went across the top because the actual pole stayed in place. So now they throw that. No wonder he couldn't carry it. He was barely alive. And there's people that say Jesus didn't really die. That's why there was an empty grave, because he didn't die. I'm telling you, I know when it happened, there was no medical science that could have saved him. If they hadn't crucified him, he was dying. But they took our Savior... And then made him carry a cross as far as he could until somebody else come along and they made him carry it. They made Simon carry it. And then Jesus gets a, And we go, he's nailed to the cross. And we see pictures and he's got these little marks in his arm nailed to a cross. And any video, any film. It would be more than triple X if we actually seen this. People would watch this as entertainment. And we say, oh, we suffer. Oh, why do I have to go through this in my life? Why does this happen to me? If you got up every day and visualized what Jesus looked like on the cross, and at the beginning of the day said, Jesus, you did that for me. What can I do for you? Today, how can I help you today? How can I just be a part of your plan, God? I don't deserve to be a part of your plan, but how can you use me today? This church would be full if we fought like that. If every day we got up and fought like that, that's why it's easy for me to make a decision that when when we start that prayer meeting, that I can fast all day and go without food for what twelve hours. My Savior was brutally beaten and nailed to a cross. If we started thinking like that, we would get rid of this American crap Christianity and start living for him and start thriving for him. It goes on to say, in the days 
of his flesh, Jesus offered up as prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey. Being designated by the heart, by God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. That's not supposed to be in there. The priest prayer. Jesus prayed for us. Jesus didn't only pray for us at the cross, because he did. He even asks, by the way, at the cross. And this is why I have problems, because I do this sometimes, and then I have to realize that you should be able to forgive anybody. Because if Jesus can say from the cross, forgive them, they know, they know not what they've done. How can you hold a grudge? How can you not forgive the people that have hurt you in your life? If Christ did that for you. The Living Bible puts that verse 7 like this. Yet while Christ was here on earth, he pleaded with God, praying with tears and agony of soul to the only one who would save him from death. And God heard his prayers because of his long desire to obey God at all times. He heard him. He still allowed him to go through it. And we complain about the stuff that we go through. We complain. Do you know that there's one important thing in this world? And that is for you to know Jesus and have a relationship with him. That's it. Apart from that, nothing matters. Health don't matter. Wealth don't matter. Where you live don't matter. Relationship with Christ matters. That's all that matters. That's all that's ever going to matter. Because you can have all the money in the world. You can live in the right subdivision. You can have the right toys. But if you don't know Christ, it's going to be hot where you're going. And you're not going to get tanned. We need to surrender. Although he was a son, he learned obedience What he suffered, we need to learn obedience just like he did. And we need to surrender to him. Through Christ was the son of God, yet he was obedient. Obedient to the point of death. You see, Philippians 2.8 says this. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. This led to his suffering and his death. Salvation though. Verse 9 said this, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all of who obey him. Notice it says obey him. Do you have to obey him? I'll say no. Do you get to obey him? I'll say yes. But if you don't obey him, I don't think you made him Lord over your life. I think it's pretty simple that the Bible always talks about Jesus as Lord and Savior. I think there's many points in this Bible that I read that says, obey, obey, obey. I don't think we obey because we have to. I 
believe, we obey because we can visualize what he did for us. And then we can obey because we get to obey and we go, wow, you would do that for me, God? What can I do for you? Because I don't know about you. When somebody does something nice for you, do you want to help them back? I mean, he paid the ultimate price for us. How can we have so much trouble volunteering for anything and showing up? Through his perfection, he brought eternal salvation. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him, whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is supernatural. He is above all Old Testament priests. Priest. He is the perfect priest. Philippians 2, 9, 11 says this, Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every, every knee shall bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we are told to come before him with our needs. Because he's our great high priest. We should remember these three things. He cares for you. He feels our pain and our sorrow. He is concerned with us. He is concerned with our life and our plans. And three, he is filled with compassion for you. Else he wouldn't have gone to the cross for you. See, he was not just the high priest. He was the sacrifice. He took the sacrifice into the tent. And the sacrifice was himself. This compassion is more than love, though. It is love at work. It is love that does something. God more than loved us because he gave us his son to die as a sacrifice for us. So next week, hopefully it won't be this long because you've only got three verses to read. Hebrews 5, 11 through 14. Well, actually four verses to get ready for part eight, the supremacy of Christ, our growth as Christians. So how do we apply this and how do we grow as Christians? Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for being an awesome God that stood in the gap for us. You are our great high priest that loved us so much that you put on human flesh. You lived a life that we could not live and sacrificed yourself. So you was not just the high priest, but you was the living sacrifice. You carried yourself in and allowed your sacrifice, God. And we thank you for that. And we pray, God, that you use this to open our eyes to become more like Jesus every day. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.